I'm Dr. Michelle Plaster, and you're listening to Between Two White Coats, a weekly podcast where we dig into key issues surrounding health and wellness. I'm a family medicine doctor, and my co-host, Amber Foster, is a family medicine nurse practitioner. In our combined 30 years in medicine, we've seen a lot. We are taking some of our biggest questions, obstacles, and patient-centered advice and wrapping it into a 20-minute weekly podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have found this podcast helpful, give us a five-star rating and review. This helps other people find our podcast. And make sure you share it with your friends. Thank you for your time. We look forward to serving you. Thanks for joining us on our season on mental health. Amber and I really spend a lot of time trying to figure out what we want to do our podcast over. And one thing that's really stood out to us more recently is mental health. And honestly, the mental health crisis that our country and possibly the world is in. Mental health is always an important topic and it's always a difficult topic. A lot of people who struggle with mental health don't get the help that they need can't access the help that they need, even if they're willing to get it. There's been a lot of barriers to helping people in the mental health arena for many, many years. And now we throw this pandemic on top of what's been going on and the mental health crisis has gotten much larger. Amber and I were having a conversation in about the first or second month of the pandemic And we said to each other, what happens when the entire world is suffering PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, at the same time? And now I'm starting to see that and the effects of unaddressed, unassisted mental health in a mental health crisis and a pandemic. So we would like to spend the next few episodes discussing mental health We want to give you some information that may be of assistance to you or someone that you love. We're going to address a lot of different aspects of this and try to hit it from different angles. We're going to have some amazing guests that are going to help us understand and have some answers to a lot of hard questions. We're going to have a guest who's a mental health patient and takes us through his journey in mental health. And we're going to have two brilliant therapists who have worked extremely hard, uh, very accomplished careers in mental health. And they're going to give us a lot of insight as well. So thank you for tuning in with us as we go through this next season on mental health. Issues with mental health are so much more common than we like to pretend they are or that we even might recognize that they are. There was a survey from the World Health Organization in 2001 that noted that 25% of the population worldwide was affected by mental or behavioral health. That's a quarter of our population that struggle with this. And yet, if you ask people, they think they don't know anyone because we don't like to talk about it or address it. And too many times it is really ignored and people are suffering silently. And if we add in what's been going on in the past year and a half Forever, or more, I feel like. it feels like for the last 400 years, this pandemic, it has really disrupted people's peace and their mental health and their security and their ability to control anything in their life. And so there was a survey that was done in November of 2020 
where people were asked, did they feel that they were struggling with anxiety or depression in any way? And 43%, almost half of the people surveyed in a large sample size, 43% of people said that they were struggling with anxiety or depression. And so I also believe that there are a lot of people who have been getting by with not great mental health. Mm -hmm. And this pandemic has prevented the getting by. And we are getting into a place where we need to address this and we need to offer people some real help. Yeah. We, uh, you and I had a conversation even prior to all the shutdowns and every, this was in February. And I remember looking at you and going, if this goes where I think it's going to go, we're going to be in a worldwide, like post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, we're going to see an increase in mental health issues like the suicide rates and depression and anxiety. And that's exactly what has happened. And, and, and it breaks a, my heart. Yes, you were, we, you we, were exactly right on. And I remember that conversation so clearly. And we have removed the resources of friends and family and social isolation and a really anxiety provoking time. We've removed people from their churches. We have removed people from their work environments. Mm -hmm. Um, People have been sitting at a table for a year and working 12 hour days and at their house, at their house, with their kids in the background, with the same walls and the (laughs) same family. And so how does that not have a profound impact? Of course it does. So as we attempt to recover from a pandemic, uh, prayers to the the heavens that we will quickly (laughs) recover from a pandemic. But as we attempt to recover from a pandemic, how do we recover mentally as well as physically? That's going to be a a really important area for us to all make sure we're addressing. Yeah. And and we've been all hoping for what is this new normal? What is this new normal? Well, we're here like it's 18 months later. There's not really a new normal. So trying to evaluate kind of, you know, where you are, what's going on, how you're feeling is a really good start because there I don't feel like we're ever going to go back to pre-pandemic because even if COVID goes away tomorrow, we all have now, you know, collectively experienced this very traumatizing thing. I mean, personally, I've lost three family members from COVID uh, this year alone. And so we will never go back to normal. Like we are now, what is the new normal? So kind of taking a minute to step back and say, okay, you know, evaluating kind of where you are. And I think that would be good. I tell patients to do it. I'm having to do it. You know, like, what does this look like now? Right. And this pandemic is offering us a lot to digest and deal with. And we've got to start dealing with it if we haven't. So Amber and I really want to dig in to mental health and how important it is and why we feel that really without good mental health, you can't have good health. So let's, you know, you and I are maybe the typical primary cares, maybe not. I like to think we're normal, but we're (laughs) not, we're not. But I don't know that there's a patient um, or opportunities that tend to pass by us to address this. Um, Talk to me on why this matters to you and why you don't ignore it when we're treating people for other physical type issues. Well, a lot of times I'll have patients that'll say, I'm tired. I feel like something's wrong. It's my thyroid. I'm not sleeping well. And then I go on to say like, you're telling me you're staying in, staying in the bed. Like you're not wanting to do things that you would typically do. You're not going out to lunch with your friends. One of the things that 
um, like with family practice, you know, we get to know families. And so I have, um, you know, you're not, you're not hanging out with your daughter. You're not going shopping with your girlfriends, you know, that type of thing. So when I hear patients that are, or even sometimes I can tell just physically, like I walk in and I'm like, what is wrong with you? And people burst into tears because behind closed doors, everyone is struggling with something. something. I have yet to find a patient that has not been affected by some sort of life trauma, traumatic event, you know, something. And so um, I have a lot of patients that'll say, I just don't feel myself. And so trying to differentiate, like, is that possibly new depression that they're feeling where they think they're having physical symptoms and you will have physical symptoms, um, but yet there might not be a true medical diagnosis other than new depression or sadness. Such a great point that, um, any kind of anxiety, depression uh, can present in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. It may be insomnia, and that may be really your only symptom. It may be a change in appetite where you're stress eating and you're binge eating that you never maybe did before, or you can't eat. Your stomach hurts, you start having diarrhea and vomiting, and mm-hmm. it's all underlying stress. Yeah. Um, it may be sadness, but it may be anything that you don't even think you feel sad, but you're having something that's not right. You don't feel yourself. I had a patient actually this week, a sweet, sweet young girl who said, I think I'm having hormonal issues. And I was like, well, tell me more. And then what it actually was, was that um, previously in her life, she had had a traumatic event around transition and she's going through a big life transition right now. And so it wasn't hormones at all. By the time I dug down, I was like, were you medicated during this time before? And she's like, I was, but I really think it's just my hormones. Anyways, we ended up getting to the bottom of it. And it really, she was thinking she was quote unquote acting crazy with her periods, but yet when you started digging a little deeper, you found, no, she was re-experiencing trauma with the transition, and we discussed medication and possibly therapy. So there are so many different uh, ends of the spectrum with any kind of mental health. And, you know, we just keep calling it mental health, whether it's mental illness, whether it's specific diagnosis. That when we use the term mental health, we're just really saying you're not feeling your best brain right now. And the brain is a difficult and complicated organ. It is the most. I mean, how many specialists do we have that do the brain? There's psychiatrist and there's neurologist and there's neuropsychiatrist and there's neurosurgeons. We don't have that many specialists. The liver is the biggest organ in the body and it gets one guy, the hepatologist, and that's it. So, you know, it is the the brain is so, so complicated. It can present and do so many things. And then there's so many ends of the spectrum for this where a lot of people feel like if you're still functioning, if you can still get up and go to work, then you must be fine. But just like you just said, I'm not feeling myself or we see them and we know there's all kinds of stuff that's not your normal you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're you're short tempered. You're yelling at everyone around you in a way that isn't how you act at all. You're feeling overwhelmed. You feel like the whole world is on your shoulders and you're not quite sure what to do with that. And and you're having possibly physical symptoms of it, possibly just really distracted in your brain. Your thoughts aren't belonging to you. You have a mental fog. That's one that we hear a lot where I can't remember what just happened. How many people come in and I think I have some sort of dementia. Like you're 35, that would be unusual, but let's talk further. 
And really, they're struggling with some depression, mm-hmm. and it's created a total mental fog, and they can't remember anything yeah. because their brain is just too busy processing other things mm-hmm. or being distracted by other things. What is the difference between sadness, grief, depression? When do you get help? When do you go talk to somebody about this? I have said for years, I think it's always beneficial to have someone objective to talk to you. So like, I mean, you could go through literally anything and need to talk to someone that can be objective. So the spectrum, like you mentioned, is so huge. You know, some people tend to handle things better, quote unquote, than others just because of personality types. Um, I have told patients if if I am going to give medication and that's not always the answer, you need to see a therapist. Um, I need you talking through someone with, and I always say, I'm not a good therapist. I am not a very good therapeutic communicator. I'm like, all right, let's get this done. Like, this is what we need to do, you know, and also do the things. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, like doing the exercise and the eating healthy and the, the gratitude stuff, like all of that. You've, you've mentioned several times, you can't be stressed out if you're being thankful for things. So even just practicing good habits, but as far as saying, Hey, I need help. If you are not acting like yourself, you know, if you feel like you're in a mental fog, if your friends and family have noticed differences, those are little red flags. And it might not be that you have a true mental health problem. You just might be going through something difficult. Um, but if you may you, need a short-term treatment yes. to deal with a short-term Term problem. problem. Yeah. Um, but I, I would just jump in and say that there is very little bad that comes from asking for help too early. Yes. There is a lot of bad that comes from asking for help too late or not asking yeah. for help. So if you're not sure, the answer is go. Yeah. Just go talk to someone. I love how you said an objective person because we think that we can have the best mom in the whole wide world. And most and, of us do. I mean, my mom is great. Do. Your mom is great. Great. <laughs> Wonder couldn't love me more, which makes her even less objective. Yeah. Because whatever happens in the world, she's going to be on my side. Yeah. Um, and, and we really need not only an objective person, but you also need someone who is trained and an expert in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it is difficult to go to a friend and say, I'm feeling X, Y, Z. And have that friend be able to give you expert advice yes. because if you wouldn't, and, and and what I would say to people, if you're trying to figure out if the friend or family member that you're talking to, to help you and whatever's going on in your mind is the correct answer, would you go to that person to help you if you were concerned that you had diabetes yeah. or if you have a new mass and that you feel and you need someone to evaluate that? You would go to an expert for diabetes. Absolutely. You would go to an expert for that mass. And you need to go to an expert for this because it is just as important. And you need someone who doesn't just love you a whole lot, but has some serious expertise in this area so that you can get the best possible treatment and the right treatment and to really start to address something which is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. It's just as taxing, if not more taxing, than any of those other physical yeah. conditions. I have, um, my dad's a pastor. So, um, you know, I have a lot of patients that have a stigma about going to someone. And I mean this in the best possible way, but they want, um, you know, I want to go to a Christian counselor. I'm completely fine with that. Sometimes there's even a stigma to going to someone that is professional, especially if you don't feel that they're faith-based. And I have lots of friends that are psychologists that you would not know that they were faith-based because they're being objective, not that they don't use that into practice. But I think that especially here in the South, that is something that, um, you know, people are 
sometimes a little leery about because yeah. they're worried that they may do something that is kind of out of their faith realm. Does that make and sense? Yes. Have, you, have you heard that as well? Uh, so many times. And, and, and I'll have people come right in and ask, I would like to go to a Christian counselor and we will send, send them, them to right. a Christian counselor. There are as many different types of therapists and counselors as there are primary care doctors. You know, I may, I love managing diabetes. I find it interesting and I do a lot of it. And I have colleagues who say, no, I'm sending to endo. I don't manage diabetes. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a one size fits all and be an expert in all things. Yeah. So there's a lot of different therapists who you may have been to a therapist once that wasn't a good fit for you. And that just meant that that therapist wasn't a good fit for you. Not that all therapy won't help you. Yeah. And so it is important to find the right doctor, the right therapist. Yeah. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of people out there who specialize in different ways. And there's one who's going to be able to reach you in whatever space that you need to be reached in. Yeah. And that's um, like, you can feel comfortable in knowing and being like, I need to draw a boundary line. Like, I don't feel like you're a good therapist for me. And then finding someone else and not letting that be that, oh no, I tried therapy and it didn't work. Yes. I've also had people just to be devil's advocate on the other side of that who have gone to their pastor for therapy and it ended up not being the right thing. Yeah. You know, the pastor is going to lead you down the road of, well, what does the Bible say and how do we do this in the best faith-based way? But there may be something more extensive that the pastor is not an expert yeah, on. Not trained and so if there is depression or if there are other issues that are not fitting for you with that, then don't stop there. Yeah. You and know, it's great that you tried that and it's time to try something else if that's not getting you yeah, results. But it doesn't mean like that you're a failure. And I think that sometimes they get... They, as in, I mean that in the best way possible, but patients or even people in general will say, oh, well, I tried that. It didn't work. And then they, then they felt almost like it was a failure. And then it's this, you know, cyclical thing where, oh, I feel bad again and I can't do that. And so then they right. won't go. And it didn't work once. So it's can't, never going yeah. to work. And, and we need to always remember it didn't work once doesn't mean that's where we stop. Yeah. We keep going until you feel better. Yeah. And, and you'll know when you're there because you'll feel better and you'll know when it's time to seek help. And we, of course, always advocate to start with your primary care, um, but you'll know when it's time to seek help because you don't feel good. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the brain and mental health issues, concerns in general. Um, as I mentioned, the brain is a really complicated organ. Thank God that psychiatrists <laughs> and neurologists exist because... And I always say, you're not going to find a neurologist who was in the bottom 10% of med school. Yeah. <laughs> and these are really smart guys and, and gals, of course. Um, but uh, the brain has a lot of chemicals. There are, so you have millions of neurons that carry messages. Yes. And those messages are sent between neurons by chemicals called neurotransmitters. And so you'll hear people talk about different neurotransmitters, particularly in the realm of anxiety and depression where serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine carry messages around in the brain. Some of those messages are very linked with emotion. And so if you are a person who um, your grandchild is playing and this should be the happiest day of your life and you find yourself sort of flat faced saying, oh, isn't he adorable? <laughs> um, and everyone else is laughing and you're kind of conjuring up and you can't laugh. Um, or if you're a person who really doesn't have anything to worry about, but you'll find something, um, you know, just driving home today, there's 20 ways I could die. 
Um, or you live in a negative space, people tell you great news and you try to find how that great news isn't so great, then there's a really solid chance that you don't have enough of these happy neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. And we equate this to diabetes in the respect of if you don't have enough insulin, you can't wish for more insulin. You can't pray for more insulin. I mean, we believe in miracles. Amber and I are faith-based people. Um, But Diabetes is not something that people argue, well, you just didn't go to church enough or else you wouldn't have diabetes. Mm -hmm. And that happens with depression and anxiety and people start to own that, whether whether someone has said it or whether they're saying it to themselves. People start to own, well, if I tried harder, if I if I went to church more, if I lived a healthier life then my brain wouldn't be in such a negative space, or I'm just a negative person, or I'm just a worrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that stuff gets in your way, when it keeps you from living a life that is complete and happy, then it's time for us to help you do something. And if you look back and you think, oh, I was always the kid that was convinced that everything was about to go wrong at all times, and you live a life like that, and it's getting in your way, and it's tearing up your relationships, Um, or you're just worried and anxious all the time, then we can help you. There are ways that we can bring those neurotransmitter levels back up for you and that you will go, oh, this is what everyone else's brain does. This is how the rest of the world feels. And I I will say to patients very much like the therapy. I mean, we have tools now that help us, you know, determine which medications work really well for patients if that's what you need. But I tell patients when you find the medication that works for you, you know, it works for you. Like patients will say, oh yes, I can tell like I'm so much better. Um, And so that's just working with your primary care if that's something that's needed as well. But like you said, it's just kind of figuring out and fine fine tuning um, medications and therapies and like, you know, you'll feel, feel better. And I have had patients say, this is what it feels like to be quote unquote normal. Like I'm right. not worried like I was. Right. And I, and my life is easier. Yeah. It's, I don't have all these hurdles yeah. that have been there my entire life. Yeah. It is, uh, Amber has mentioned a couple of times medications versus therapy, and we believe in an and also, not a which is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, there's good research that shows that therapy can be just as effective as medications. It depends very much on what's going on with each individual person, and that doing both is going to get you there faster. Okay. So this person who doesn't have enough serotonin and finds a way to be worried and sad about a lot of things that other people aren't worried and sad about would clearly need some medication to increase their serotonin levels. And there's a number of medications. And I think one of the misunderstandings is that these are habit forming. And if you start them, you can never come off of them. What else do we hear? Um, And they're going to change me. They're going to change my personality. Um, And none of that is accurate or true. And if you are on a medicine that has made you have less emotion or feel not yourself, it's not the right medicine for you. And like you said, uh, there is a right medicine for you. And we have to figure out how to find that and, and work with you until you are feeling better. But then the therapy. So if you're a person who's not having enough serotonin and you've been that way your whole life, you may need to learn a new way to address things. When your brain says, you know what, that's a happy thing. And you've always found things to worry about. You're going to be pulled into habits. And and it's really hard to know what's born and what's bred. They overlap in a trillion ways. Mm -hmm. And so learning new ways to deal with stress, learning behavioral modifications, learning relaxation techniques, um, 
having different ways to treat trauma and other things that make a huge difference for people. I'm excited for us to talk to one of our therapists in an upcoming episode who was telling me about different treatments for anxiety through therapy and how wonderfully effective they are. And so there is definitely the approach of medicine. There's the approach of therapy. And we often advocate for both. Yeah. One of the things that for um, patients with, you know, let's say uh, low serotonin levels is that it is subjective information. So I know that you do have to feel be able to feel comfortable to walk in and talk to someone about that because I tell patients all the time, what you're telling me is this, am I hearing this correctly? Because I can't draw a blood work that says, uh, your A1C is 10, you've not been taking your medication for diabetes. Like, you know, I can do that for diabetes. I cannot do that for depression. We cannot take a piece of your brain out yeah. and look at it <laughs> under the microscope. Yeah. Um, there is no way, unfortunately, there's no lab for confirmation of a, of resolution a of symptoms of, of mental or brain illness. Yeah. There is no lab for that. There is no confirmatory test. It is a lot of question answer and getting a really good history and looking at what the symptoms are and working out a couple of different therapies until there's a therapy that's effective. So I, I tell patients, my goal is always remission. Same thing for diabetes. My goal is to get you off medicines if we don't need them. And a lot of times that's possible. Absolutely. Um, but you also have to be willing to say things. And I think, you know, sometimes if patients are being uh, nervous or with, you know, withholding, not necessarily intentionally, but in withholding information because they're, they've never said anything like this before to anyone. And a lot of times patients will cry because, you know, they're so overwhelmed with emotion. And then we're the first people that they mention something to, you and know, then apologize for crying. Yes. <laughs> like time. it is. Okay. And we always say, Hey, we make lots of people yes. cry. You do not have to apologize <laughs> yes. to us. But, you know, to also say what you're feeling. And sometimes people don't know, you know, like, like we were mentioning for at first, like it's, I'm tired, I'm fatigued, you know? So, um, so having close follow-up is a big deal for mental health as well. And that's why therapy and seeing us primary care, um, you know, they're beneficial and that's why it blends so well together. And to get this diagnosis correct, or, uh, and sometimes we don't have to label it. Sometimes we can say, this is what we think is going to help and let's try it. Let's just hold your hand as we move forward in the right direction. Um, But to get this correct, it requires a really open dialogue with a provider that you trust. Mm -hmm. And so I would say if you or someone you love is struggling with their brain is, you know, like if they are struggling with their pancreas or any other organ, that is a reason to go and speak to someone that you trust. But this is why we believe very strongly in a good relationship with a medical provider because it is hard to go in and talk about this stuff. And we appreciate how hard that is. It's, it's very, you're very vulnerable when you start discussing that your brain's not doing what you want it to do. You're not feeling or thinking in a way that you wish. And that vulnerability is a hard place to go into, but it's necessary. And it is absolutely the first step in getting better. I encourage if, if you are a person who needs to do this alone, then do it alone. But I encourage loved ones, people who care about someone and they know something's just not up to go to the doctor with them. I will often look at the person in the chair next to the patient and say, what's going on? It is amazing how when your brain's not working great on your behalf, you can really have a skewed version of what's going on. 
And so having a loved one come with you to that appointment is often helpful as long as you feel that that loved one's okay. going to be helpful. And I will also ask them, hey, ask this loved one in a few weeks if you're doing better or worse, because it's really hard to self-gauge this. People know they still aren't great. They still don't feel exactly like they want to. And they'll often come in and say, I'm not better. But then their family members are like, she's so yeah. much better. She's, I mean, she may not be all, all where she wants to be, but she's so much yeah. better. And so having people you trust give you some, some uh, objective feedback is wonderful as well. I also tell people when you're trying to grade these things, make a symptom journal. You know, note that you felt nauseated on these days, that you felt anxious because of these things, because it's hard to uh, get in front of your provider and tell the story. And so if you have a symptom journal, sometimes people struggle. I'll just take their journal and start reading it. And then we can have some dialogue that way. And so if it's hard to talk about, that's okay. We expect that. But bring in a symptom journal, bring in a trusted friend or family member and get to a medical provider that you trust. And if you go in and talk to your medical provider and it doesn't go the way that you want, then you go and talk to another one. Mm -hmm. um, I think that no matter what, the first thing we do wrong is we ignore when we know we're not our best. And early treatment and early management of these things can really help. But no matter where you are in the spectrum of not feeling your best, there's a lot of help out there. And I fully believe that you cannot be physically well if you are not mentally well. Mm -hmm. I say all the time, your body's never made a single decision. Your brain makes yeah. all the decisions. So if you think you're eating right and exercising and doing everything great for your body, but your brain's not in a good place, you're probably wrong. Yeah. There's probably a lot more that needs to go better elsewhere. Um, we, you know, we discuss obesity and other things being linked to trauma histories and, uh, and other uh, mental health issues. So certainly value your mental health, mm -hmm. um, value your emotional health, your spiritual health. And if you feel like you're not in the place that you want to be, talk to somebody you trust. We hope that you've been able to get something valuable out of our conversation and, and really start to address some things that we don't like to talk about, but we really need yes. to talk about. We're going to move into a little bit more on that next week as we address the stigma of mental health and how do we as a society do better and how do we as individuals do better. So please join us next week as we dig a little deeper into how can we better address mental health. This week's Tell Me Something Good. It's fall. And for all of you that love pumpkin spice latte, there couldn't be anything better. We'll see you next week for another episode of Between Two White Coats.